and turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. We live in a world filled with distractions. You've heard that word. You've probably been distracted a few times here this morning. All sorts of devices and thoughts that run through your mind. It happens. A distraction is the process of interrupting attention and focus on a stimulus or a task that draws attention away from the task of primary interest. Primary interest. Primary meaning first, most important. And I ask you here this morning, what is the one thing in your life that you ought to be focused on? What is the one thing in your life right now that you know your life ought to be centered on? Your decisions, your priorities, and your practice. And what are the distractions that get in the way? In chapter 2, Peter's last words here coming in chapter 3, I'm sorry. Peter closing out his second letter here, my friends. And his goal is to wake us up. To wake us up to some serious truths that we so easily forget. And we do so, my friends, at a great personal and ministerial cost. In other words... To lose your focus can cost you dearly. Melanie and I drove uh, 14 hours yesterday from North Carolina back home. And that truth was never more, you know, more obvious and just staring at a road. Line, 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 solid line, dot, 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 you know, it's the same thing wherever there's trees and there's skies and there's another car. On our way to North Carolina, a 19-year-old boy determined he wanted to change lanes and forgot to look in his mirror. Boom, right into the side of our vehicle. Pay attention. And I'm not talking about driving here, friends. I'm talking about to the most important things. And Peter lays out some really big, heavy truths that we ought not to forget, because we do at our own peril. And the first truth found in verse 1 here, verses 1 and 2, is this. The world is doomed. Everyone look around. These trees, this grass, all over wherever you go today is temporary. This world will not last forever. There is a day coming it's called the day of the Lord. Look at what Peter says. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. And in both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the prediction of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord Jesus, our Savior, through your apostles over and over again. 
This world is temporary. I'm not talking about your life. We know that if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have something called eternal life. While you may not live eternally here, you will live eternally somewhere. We're talking about this earth that we live on, this creation. It is a ticking time bomb, my friends. It won't last forever. But we tend to forget. We tend to forget. And what is the hope and the answer of remembering? Is it not repetition? Repeating, putting out clues, notes on your refrigerator. Tomorrow there is no guarantee. We know that Jesus said, Behold, I come quickly. And he wasn't talking about, uh, you know, how long it'll be before he returns. Jesus said, When I come, it'll be like that. Right in the middle of whatever it is you're doing with this life. We tend to forget. So Peter wants to stir up our minds by way of reminder. And then he tells us why. That you should remember the prediction of the holy prophets. Remember, my friends. How many times a day do you say to your, I forgot. Oh, I forgot. We forget. We are people who let things slide. Peter knew all about this, my friends. We reminded you of this earlier in our study. Peter being highly motivated to make sure that others remembered because there were days that Peter, even Peter himself, forgot. You know the accounts, my friend. In Matthew 26, the servant girl came and said, Hey, you're with this Jesus, aren't you? He had been arrested already, and Peter denies the Lord. Now, Jesus had already told him three times, you're going to deny me before the rooster crows. Pay attention. Strike one. Another servant girl saw him, and again he denied the Lord Jesus. Even bystanders came up to Peter And the scripture tells us, and immediately the rooster crowed. And you know what follows that statement? I mean, what a dark day in this man's life. How many times a day do you deny the Lord Jesus, I wonder? You say, well, I, I don't talk about him at all, so how could I deny him? Boom, there's one. You pretend like he's not a part of your life. Like he doesn't matter. Like you don't speak up when you know you ought to. When you decide, hey, nobody's looking, I guess I'll just take a break. The goal is to remember, my friends. The goal is to remember. And what does it mean to remember? North Carolina, which I'll be talking about a lot here this morning because I was just there if I hadn't mentioned that. (laughs) We went to this, uh, this park And it was all about memorials, thousands of names, literally every name of every person who died in the Vietnam War. It was was established to celebrate those who had made it back, the veterans. But it also took a moment. And my friends, the point wasn't so that somebody could pass a test someday. 
You know, study the names. It was a reminder to live knowing the cost. How ought you to live differently in light of what we are reminded? Powerful stuff, my friends. Powerful. But the scripture says, the moment he had denied Christ and heard the rooster crow, Peter remembered the saying of Jesus. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. You remember weeping bitterly? Everyone has wept bitterly at some point in their life, distraught. How could I live in such a way, even knowing the danger before me? But Peter forgot. Hey, friends. Don't forget this stuff. Keep it at the forefront of your mind. And Peter reminds us yet again here in verse 3, notice. He says, and don't jump in with all the doubters. And there's a few of you here. I'm not naming names because I don't know who you are. But I'm certain in a number of this, of this there's, there's somebody out there saying, this world ain't going to end. And even if it does, I'll be long gone. What difference does it make? Has anybody ever noticed that this thing keeps falling? <laughs> Is it just me? Oh. Well, that didn't help at all. Am I throwing up all? Yeah, good. There. No, I got it, Bill. <laughs> Look at here in verse 3. Peter lays out this warning that's so very important. He says, knowing this first of all. Friends, if you're going to remember, you better be aware of the dangers. He says, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last day with scoffing. And they will say, so where's the promise of his coming? Remember Jesus promised he was coming? Remember that? Remember back in the 70s, we made a big deal about that. Jesus is coming. Be ready. And here it is, 2021. And scoffers will say to you, see, nothing ever changes. Same old, same old. Eh, don't worry about that stuff. They will cast doubt, my friends. And you know what doubt is? Doubt is the enemy to faith. Faith says... No, we're not talking about Disney World here. Just believe you can fly. and you, you know, that's, that's not how faith works. Faith is this. God said something. You understand it and you live in light of it. That is faith. Faith is not simply believing something is true. It's believing it and acting on it. This thing is still moving, isn't it? Either I'm getting taller or this thing is falling. <laughs> Ooh. We'll deal with it. And so their, their argument is it's been too long. Where's the promise of his coming? Verse 4. For ever since the fathers fell asleep and all things continue as they were just as the beginning. Look at that. The beginning of creation. Hmm. We fall for this stuff all the time, my friends. On a hot summer day with sweat pouring down your face, it's hard to believe in winter. Well, I mean, I remember there was a winter once, but look at how warm it is out here. 
Is winter coming? Do you believe that? Can you tune up your snowblower yet? That would be application, my friends. Feel free to write that down. Go ahead. <laughs> and yet the signs are everywhere. I think I see some change in the trees here. We saw a little bit of it coming back, driving through the mountains. Hmm. But I'll tell you, my friends, Peter says, scoffers, they overlook God's past actions. Look at verse 5. For they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. In other words, there was a time where none of this existed. And suddenly God spoke and brought all things into creation. Sure, it seemed like that would never happen, but it did. And so, my friends, he did it at creation. But you know what? In verse 6, he did it at the flood as well. Everybody remembers this story, my friends. We think of it as a child story, but it's true, and it is a warning to us. The Lord came to a man named Noah and said, it's going to rain. Now, up until this point, my friends, it had never rained. See, there's that whole faith thing. But God said it would. So I believe it. And so God said, build an ark. And he gave him all the instructions, how big this thing ought to be. And he built it. And everybody would walk by. You know, we, you know, we can only imagine this stuff happening. Hey, what, what are you doing building an ark? Why? It's going to rain. Never rained before. It makes you think it's going to rain again. See that whole thing going on? Yeah. And by means of these words, and by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. In other words, every day Noah's out there cutting wood and putting stuff together was an invitation to repent because the reason for the judgment was sin, my friends. Every thought, action, the imagination of the heart, the scripture says, was only evil continually. Yeah. And so creation. Well, there was never anything before. What makes you think there'll be something now? Because God spoke and brought it into existence. Well, it never rained before. What makes you think it'll rain again? And it did. And you will notice here in verse 7, and by the same word that the heaven and the earth now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. And there is the warning, my friends. The day is coming. This planet, this creation will burn up. Look at verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the day, uh, with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. And we understand that principle. You know, is it not true that the older you get, the faster everything goes? 
You know, when you're a kid, did not summer seem to last about seven and or eleven years or something? I mean, you were just out of school forever, and even then, you believed it would never end, but it did. You get older, summer feels like about a weekend. You know, hey, why is it October suddenly? Wasn't it just July? It happens. So for the Lord, thousand years. It ain't nothing. In other words, God is patient. You and I, we can be deceived by the length of time. They think since it's been like, what, like 2,000 years, at least, you know, since Jesus came and returned to heaven after saying, Behold, I come quickly. Hmm. So where's he been? Well, it's only been a weekend for the Lord. <laughs> thousand days, like a day. But he is patient. And then he tells us why. There is a purpose to that delay. Look at verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. In other words, every day that the Lord does not return and this world is not destroyed, is an opportunity for you to say, my way, it ain't working that well. Sure, I got a lot of stuff and I'm awfully busy, but there seems to be something missing no matter where I go and whatever I do. And I'll tell you what, my friends, the answer is Jesus. And you need to put your trust in him. He died on the cross for your sin. He rose from the dead and he will forgive your sin and give you eternal life. And day after day, he calls. Hmm. Well, friends, the fact is, the world's going to end. We don't know when. We don't know when. But since all these things are thus to be dissolved, verse 11... What sort of people ought you to be? How ought you to be living in light of this truth? And Peter says, lives of holiness and godliness. In other words, in light of the truth of what you know to be factual, that one day the Lord Jesus will return. And all opportunities will be gone. How then ought you to live? Maybe a little less invested in this place and maybe a little more invested in the world to come. Our focus ought to be living lives of holiness. And you know what holiness is? That's one of those nebulous words that people think, you know, like you don't talk to most people because they're lower than you. or You know, that's nonsense. Holiness means one thing. Set apart for God, and you live that way. You don't, you don't say, well, well, you know, what does somebody else want for me? How about this? What does the Lord want for me? How ought I to be living today? What my manner of life should be, my vocabulary, my habits, my thoughts, what I invest in, these are the things, my friends, that should matter. 
Because Peter here, verse 11, writes, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for the hasting of the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? My friends, our focus ought to be on a new heaven and a new earth that's marked by righteousness, verse 13. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth which righteousness dwells. We live for a future home, not a present one. We live in such a way, my friends, that matters, that honors God in the private times and in the public times. We honor him. Look at verse 14. Peter tells us, hey, don't wait for for heaven to start living it out. He said, oh, well, I'll be good in heaven. How about be good here, my friends? Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these things, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. In other words, that sin that's in your life that you know about and you've done nothing about, it's there. Yeah, I lie sometimes, you know, but everyone does. Sure, I take things that don't belong to me, but, I mean, come on, it's not that much. Sin. Stop minimizing it in your life and start eliminating it from your life. Verse 15, And account the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul. (laughs) He's saying, look, and count every day that passes as God's patience toward you that you might turn in forgiveness repentance toward him and then peter writes just like paul wrote about according to the wisdom given him verse 16 as he does in all of his letters when he speaks in them of these matters there are some in them that are hard to understand now this is a very important verse I'm going to have to get a new mic stand or something. But this is a very important verse. Now, in 1 Peter 21, verse 21 of chapter, you know, talked about how the word of God is delivered to us. But Peter right here testifies. You say, did did these writers know they were writing the Bible or did they, you know, they're just people thought about, hey, this is good stuff. Let's call it God's word later on. Not how it worked, my friends. Look at Peter's view of Paul's writing here. He says, yeah, there's some things in there that are hard to understand. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Yeah. Which the ignorance and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Peter just put the letters of Paul in the category of scripture. So this was not something that was decided later on, my friends. They knew this was the word of God when it was written. And 
And so, my friends, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the air of lawless people and lose your own stability. How ought you to live, my friends, in holiness? How ought you to live in light of this knowledge? Resist the way of perishing. And finally, growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. Invest your life in Christ. That's the point, friends. That's the bottom line right there. You want to know what the one thing is that Jesus is going to hold you accountable for? That's it right there. What are you investing your life in? This world or the world to come? So grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Wrap it up. Sermon in a sentence is this. The fact that one day this earth will burn up means we ought to be living holy lives now. Because holy lives impact other lives. Holy lives become evidence that others should put their faith in Jesus Christ as well. I'll tell you, one of the, the biggest problems in evangelism today is hypocrisy in the church. Well, look at them. They're not perfect. I mean, they're doing some of the stuff I'm doing. Yeah. You know what the problem with hypocrisy as an argument against Christ is? Because you've already admitted there's a higher standard. You've already confessed that we ought to be living better than we are. But my friends, live a holy life. Invest wholly in Christ. I mean, start with a clean piece of paper and say, how ought I to be living? If I believe this stuff, how would I be living? What, what, what should I be removing from my life and what should I be adding in it? Is entertainment the way to go or maybe a little Bible study called for? The fact that one day this earth will burn up means we ought to be living differently. So do God's will. In light of the fact that we know that Christ is going to return, John writes in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, <coughs> Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, my friends... The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eye and the pride of life is not from the Father, but this world. What is that called? Go shopping without the intent of buying anything. What is that? What's the word for that? Window shopping. Window shopping that's it. I knew there was a word. Yes. You ever do that? Well, I'm just going to go window shopping and then you come back with three bags full. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> That's how this stuff works. Hey, guard your eyes. You don't want to be trapped into something. Watch your eyes. Men, watch your eyes. Ladies, watch your eyes. That draws you in. Wow, that looks... Ooh, think of what people will think of me if I have that. Let's be honest. Do you really think different about people by the what the, the stuff that they have? Do you? I mean, don't you really just 
You know, understand who people are by the way they live. Don't fall for the lie, my friend. Don't buy the lie. See, the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So do God's will and purify yourself. John also writes in chapter 3 of 1 John, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. Hey, get out yourself a notebook, maybe a conversation with a spouse or the family and say, listen, if we're trusting Christ, we ought to be living differently. And start making a plan to live in a way that honors him.